listening to El Yoshi Did It Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to a new episode of Yoshi Den. I'm back in Los Angeles, and do me a favor, please download my app, Yoshi Den, from the Apple Store for your iPhone. And I apologize, I don't have my app for uh, Androids and Windows as of now. And please support the show by either donating or buying my t-shirts at Yoshi Den. It's, uh, it's been kind of tough to keep doing the shows, but um, please help me if you can. Anyway, great to be back in Los Angeles. I'm here today with my friend Rosie Tran, and Rosie is a dear friend. Um, I've known him for almost 10, uh, 10 years by now. Very funny comedian from Los Angeles, uh, performing in Los Angeles, originally from Louisiana, and um, she's fantastic. She has a variety of interests, uh, fashion and travel, and um, I don't know what else, what else to say. She. Um, she endured a lot of painful experience with me. I'm not a most <laughs> difficult, difficult, I'm most, the easiest person to deal with. But uh, she was very patient with me, and um, um, I'm very happy that she's here today. And I want to talk to her about her career in comedy, but uh, especially her family, her uh, amazing parents' travel odyssey to the United States from Vietnam. and. Anywho, um, I'm not, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for having me, Yosh. Thanks for doing the show, Rosie. Um, so, what? How long has it been? Like ten years? Uh, I moved out here in 2002, and I think I met you in 2003. So, ten years. Okay. In the wild west of LA comedy scene. So, you know, I mean, of course, every comedian that I get on the show, of course, I wouldn't have them on the show if it wasn't for their talent and being funny people that they are and you are for sure um let's talk about your background and you know it's um i think i think for most asian americans getting into comedy is, is a very strange decision for a lot of us <laughs> you know we're, we're not an understatement their, you know so um what, was it difficult when you made a decision because you were very young when i met you right i mean i was 19 when you met me and you made the decision to move to L.A. when? Like, you were in high school, right? Yeah. Um, I was in New Orleans, and I was dating a guy that wanted to be a comedian. I was very, very shy, and I actually wanted to be a writer. And I decided, I guess, he kind of encouraged me to move to Los Angeles with him. Are you still friends with him? No. Okay. He doesn't do stand-up anymore. <laughs> but uh, we moved out here together, and then we ended up breaking up. And I had always gone with him to shows, open mics and everything, and... I would always think of jokes when I went with him and I would hear the other comics and write jokes because I wanted to be a writer. Sure. And after we broke up, I just thought, well, why not give stand-up a try? So I tried it out and it was something that I fell in love with. So when you moved here, were you going to college too? Yes. Um, I actually went to Cal State. I had applied to, I had missed the deadlines for UCLA and USC because I was planning to move to New York actually okay. to become a writer. And what happened was in 2001, 9-11 happened, and my parents, being very, very conservative. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, um, being very, very conservative and, and 
pretty protective. Were very scared of me moving to New York. So last minute, I changed to Los Angeles. But I had applied to a bunch of schools in New York and got in. So I ended up coming here, which I probably should have gone to New York because it would have been better for my stand-up career. I mean, but, but did you, you know, if, if you're not an Asian person, if you don't live in America, you know, just that's not a traditional career route that most Asian-American parents want to hear their kids are pursuing. So when, when you told them you're thinking about pursuing comedy, what I mean, did you tell them right away? Were they supportive? I didn't. I actually hid it for about two years because, um, and I just went to college and told them I was going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I don't, the response was very mixed. They weren't very supportive, although to this day they will probably, in Asian culture, it's all about saving face. So if anyone would ever confront them, I'm pretty sure my parents would say, oh yeah, we've always been supportive of her and this and that. But initially, no, they were not supportive at all. And I think my dad thought it was a phase. You know, I was in college and I would get over it and go into finance or become a doctor, do something normal Sure. for a nation. And I think he just kind of has given up. (laughs) But um, my sister also took a non-traditional route. She's a stockbroker now, but she was in fashion as a modeling agent. And um, And she, we need to let the listeners know. So you have three sisters and obviously your mom, your parents. Yeah. And you also have um, a brother that you didn't know that you had. I did not know until I was about 13. Okay. So we'll we'll cover all that. So, um, I mean, that's not a, that's a pretty typical response, right? Because I think most Asian parents hearing, especially first generation immigrants like your parents, when they hear their kid want to become pre- uh, I mean, um, comedian, quite often they think it's like, you mean like joining the circus? You might supposed, no, seriously. You might <laughs> like a clown? Say, yeah, might as well say circus act or something like that. You they know? definitely don't understand it, and they're still, they try to be as supportive as they can. Yeah. But honestly, I'm not, you know, a huge touring act that's making tons of money. To them, I think success equals money, so they still don't quite understand what it is and that's you know i don't i don't want to judge them but that's one way to measure someone's success right money well i don't understand what i don't understand is why especially my father has that opinion because he's a writer Mm -hmm. and he's always he worked as an engineer in a hospital for many years but his passion was always writing and now that he's retired he writes full-time and he's very very happy writing full-time he writes for a magazine and he also writes political articles so I don't quite understand their apprehension towards it because my dad is an artist and my um, my mom, even though she does business, has always been into the arts. So I'm, for me, it's kind of confusing. I think it's their gut reaction is to support it, but then they have a culture telling them that it's wrong. And but but he's he's running after having a career in something else at in twilight of his. Yeah, I think they consider mm-hmm. a job something that makes money and creative pursuits as like a hobby um which i think is very uh typical with asian parents and i don't want to categorize all asian group the same thing but i think generally speaking they they most asian parents want you to take safer career path like engineer computer scientists science doctors lawyers accountants but, and, and again i agree with you and again i don't understand it because i'm not taking their i'm just not taking their side oh no no i know but that's something that they they feel comfortable with and they rather have you making quarter million dollars as a doctor than say making million dollars yes. doing comedy. Yes. <laughs> be- be- because 
you would think Asian people of all people would get their gigantic advocates and do the math like $750,000 more money but with Asian people it's it's really there's there's untangible things that people look to like your position in your community and how people look up to you um well i i even told my dad when i was um because he had been harassing me about getting a job and this was back in 2005 i think when i kind of wrote him this email telling him to stop bothering me about career choices well, Rosie, can i ask you something is your boobs bigger now what happened <laughs> Oh yeah! Every time Rosie <laughs> tells a lie, her boobs get bigger. Um, right. I don't know. Did they look bigger? It looks bigger. But <laughs> then you've noticed it before, because it was so small before. Anyway, um, that's because you met me when I was nineteen. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> um, um, no, they're the same size. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was epic. And you know, like <laughs> I, I'm, I think looking from his point of view, you know, he left Vietnam in such a traumatic period, you know, war with the United States, and um, we'll get in detail, but there was some chaos, right? Like, your father lost touch of... Uh, of my brother, brother and his right. ex-wife, yes. And here he is in another country, and as, 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 although a lot of people complain about all the illegal immigrants coming to United States, I sometimes wish people who were born here to know that leaving their country to go to another country, you know, trying to learn another language, trying to learn another culture, it's not an easy thing. So they're not coming here to aggravate people who were born here, the natives. They come here because they're desperate. So that's the circumstance, right? I mean, your dad come here looking for a new opportunity, and only thing he wants is the best opportunity for his three daughters. So it's not that he's against it. I'm, I'm sure going to start he, crying now. No, no, but... but <laughs> As I start crying... I, <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm then not, you become a comedian. I, <laughs> How could you do this? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying, looking from his his small slanty eyes, um, <laughs> that I don't. I'm not saying. I I understand where he's coming from. You know, it's uh, just think about all the time your parents may sacrifice. <laughs> no, they may sacrifice. <laughs> Whatever the dream and aspiration they have. Did my dad call you before this podcast no, I'm, I'm and just, brief you? I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to give you impression where he's coming from because whatever the dreams and aspiration he has for himself, that pretty much he put that aside for you guys, and he sacrificed, worked a lot, right? Am I wrong? Am I? I'm not pointing finger at you, <laughs> right? He. he yes. He, yes. So whatever the yes. happiness that he wanted, whatever aspiration, whatever. Things that he want to pursue, he's ready to give up all that. Is anyone willing to sponsor me into med school? No, basically no, but, donate on yoshidenton.com. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like he, he yeah. and your mom made the decision to get, put everything aside, whatever the happiness they want, so that you guys have a better opportunity. Thinking that this one could be a lawyer, this one could be a doctor. <laughs> so when when you tell them comedy, it just you know <laughs> he lived under Vietcom. It's not a very funny. <laughs> So that's 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 I think that's where he's coming from. But now that, you know, you're you're working really hard, you're married, and you, you're doing really well. You know, I know you dabble in real estate and things like that. So you're you're doing really really well. So he must be happy. But at the time, I'm sure he was concerned about. Um, 
I just don't think they understand the business. And I, first of all, I totally agree with your point. The way that I look at, look at it though, Mm -hmm. is that my parents want me to take the safe route. And the way I look at it is if you can come to another country and learn a completely new language and lose everything and start from scratch and still be successful, then there is no such thing as a safe path. You know what? You can do anything. You can literally do anything and survive. And not only did my parents survive uh, the fall of Saigon and the war, but they came here and then they moved to New Orleans and then they and and struggled through Hurricane Katrina. So they've been through multiple, multiple, multiple disasters and they've always come out ahead. So to me, that just proves to me that I can take the most risks that I want. I mean, not crazy risks like, you know. uh, When you say disaster, you mean he's talking about his three daughters? (laughs) Exactly. Um, so I just Hurricane feel, Rosie, <laughs> Hurricane. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like I feel like that they're living proof that you can take any risk you want and still be successful sure. as long as you have the the will. But you you do realize, um, parents is another word for hi- hypocrisy. You know? because <laughs> yes, I do. I do realize because, that because because I bet you, you you don't have to talk about it, but you could talk. You know, there's. When you decide to go into show business, there's many unfairness and difficulties. And one, when you decide to have kids, if they say to you, "Mom, I want to become an actress," whatever. I mean, oh, I would be the most evil, mean stage mom and just work them to the bone. Oh, so you would let them do it? Oh yeah, I would take that ten percent commission and put it in my pocket as the momager. <laughs> you really are Asian. Okay. <laughs> I would say, get your butt. If you want love, you better get out there and get that job. I would be the best stage mom ever. <laughs> Don't you know that the be- the most successful, famous people all have stage moms and stage parents who are failed entertainers? Sure. <laughs> so what are you saying about yourself now then? <laughs> I would totally support my kids to do whatever they wanted. Well, I, I can't have kids because of the personality and vasectomy, but... Uh, <laughs> If I had a kids, I wouldn't want them to get into show business. It's just you just can't have a normal childhood. I I just don't think that's fair to them. And I, you, you I see, but I grew up in a I grew up in a supposed mm-hmm. see, I don't agree with that because I every single no, no, person no, you, I know but you were you were not a child actor. That's I, fine. I was not a child actor, but I every single person I know had a dysfunctional childhood. I mean, everyone tries to have this happy childhood. And even if you did have an insanely happy childhood, which I do know several people who did, they're so boring. Like you turn out boring and completely like I don't know, just very vanilla, and I, so I, I just I just think um, I'm just not a big supporter of it. I, I I just think you you should let kids have a normal life, and once they're adult and want to pursue it, you just let them do that. But, but what if the kids want to pursue it? You should say no. That's that's a tough one. I just I, I don't know. If hey, you, you're if, shooting blanks. So <laughs> if you were to ask me ten years ago, I would say go for it, but. The more no, now that I know more about it, ten, ten years after the fact, I just think I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of um, kids doing it, but you know, just that's just me. Um, I wouldn't. I would if I were to have kids that wanted to be in entertainment, I would support them, but I would I would not use it as a love reward system. My experience mm-hmm. of people who have kids in the entertainment industry who use getting a gig or getting a job or doing a good job as a reward system it messes with the kids heads and they need more attention sure and they end up usually on drugs or alcohol or other really bad yeah, things so. so i wouldn't do that but i would encourage them to do it it's just like anything else out here i know people who have their kids in cheerleading and they do acting or they have kids that play football and they do acting so it's it's just a hobby out here kind I, of. I i don't want i don't want to present it like every child actor's 
or singers or situations like I don't know Lindsay Lohan or uh, and I'm I'm fan of hers. I, I just think she has a crazy parents and um, and there are successful situations like Jodie Foster who I have a lot of respect for. Yeah, there's she she did, she did really well, but um, I I guess I would I would make sure the kids know that being a success in the industry isn't part of their self worth. Sure. That would be the main thing. But that's not something you will ever convince any Asian parents of that. And that's that's the funny thing. It's just uh, money is a very important part of Asian culture. Jeez, uh, I mean, I don't know why Jews get this reputation, but really, <laughs> when, I mean, Asians, Asians are way I mean, worse. Jesus, way Christ. worse. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I'm I'm sometimes embarrassed by it because how some of my. Some I mean, it doesn't matter that I've you know traveled the world performing it doesn't matter that and, I've by the way i don't mean asian americans i'm talking asian, asian yeah people. asian exactly it is doesn't it, matter that i mm -hmm. perform for the troops it doesn't matter that i've performed all over the country it doesn't matter that i'm friends with people that are i literally had i went to i was performing in new york and i literally had a doctor come up to me and so this is like the height of like asian sure. respect as a doctor saying i i look up to you i could never do what you do you're so brave i can't believe you're following your dreams I'm jealous. Just I've had several doctors come up to me and say that, and that means, and I told my dad that means nothing to him. <laughs> we'll talk one more thing, then then we'll jump back to your family history. But only person that I'm, I'm not really friend with him, acquaintance, but uh, I think you're friend with Dr. Ken Jung. Yes. And Ken, he actually uh, did his residency in New Orleans, and he did it with my cousins. And he's famous for those of you who don't know who he is. He was in Hangover, uh, uh, Hangover One, Two, and Three. Uh, knocked up and a bunch of other TV stuff uh, last seven years or so. He's one of the few one. He's the only one actually that out of all of them I know that um, became a doctor, a great doctor. In addition to following his dream and actually have, finding success, so I mean he's a complete success in uh, every, in every way, <laughs> every possible way. Yeah, and he's and a, he's married to a beautiful Asian doctor as well. And she's Vietnamese. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, you know, Dr. Ken, um, congratulations. And, you know, I don't really know him. I only did a couple of shows with him. He's very nice. But Ken, you're awesome. Thanks for making the rest of this Asians look bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rosie, um, let's talk. So you have three, two, two sisters. What, what are their, you don't mind saying their names? Uh, no. Um, my older sister is Kat and my younger sister is Betsy. And your name after Rosalind uh, Carter. Rosalind Carter, yeah. Yeah, President Carter's uh, wife. And... So tell, tell me, um, do you know a lot about the history behind what was it like for your mom and dad to, you know, what was their situation in Vietnam? I do know, but I actually didn't learn until I was a lot older. My parents hid a lot of it from me. Sure. I don't know if they just were trying to forget about the past or because they thought it was too much for a little girl to know. But my dad actually um, used to torture captured Viet Cong soldiers. Wait, wait. Are you joking? No. You never told me that before. Well, I'm telling you now. <laughs> wait. Which explains my childhood. <laughs> you, so, so obviously he lived in South. He is originally from Hanoi, but he lived in the South. He worked for. Um, he was in the military. Sure. And I didn't find this out until I was about 25. My uncle um, was making a joke. We were all at dinner, Christmas dinner, or it was like Christmas or Thanksgiving. It was like about 20 people. Sure. And my uncle made a joke about my dad and me and my sisters didn't know what he was talking about. And he's like, you don't know about your dad. And I was like, no. And he's like, he's a bad motherfucker. I was like, what are you talking about? And he basically pulled us aside. My dad was very embarrassed. He like got white and didn't say anything. Yeah. And my uncle basically told us that my dad, um, was in a special division that, that tortured Viet Cong soldiers for information. And so yes, my dad tortured people. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So um, so if I didn't get a B, I would get waterboarded. <laughs> if I didn't get an A plus, if I got a B. <laughs> you know, I, I only I only met your dad one time at your wedding. I that's shocking to me because he he seems such a gentle looking person. Yeah. <laughs> You don't know about my dad. He's cray. <laughs> cray, cray. <laughs> and um, I'm here in L.A. at uh, my friend Rick Hall's house. And he was just showing me the famous picture of um, Viet, Viet, uh, Vietnam sergeant pulling a pistol and shooting a Viet Cong uh, so spy or whatnot. Yeah. Did no, that my dad used to torture people. Did you talk to your dad about that? He was very embarrassed and he didn't really want to elaborate. Um, he also was a journalist in but Vietnam. He didn't, but he didn't deny it, right? No, he didn't deny it. He also was a journalist and he wrote a lot of articles against the Viet Cong. And when he went back in 2003 to visit my dying grandmother, he was paranoid that he was going to get kidnapped, which was a high possibility because many of his colleagues that had returned were kidnapped and killed after the war. Sure. Like in the 2000s, not back in the 70s. Um, so when he went to visit my grandma, we were scared he wasn't going to come back. Um, yeah, he is an enemy of the state. <laughs> so he went only, he went, your dad went back to Vietnam just that one time. To see his mother pass away and handle the funeral, um, the funeral arrangements. But he's Well, been, I mean, what, what is that reaction? Because you know your dad obviously better than I do, but, um, I mean, were you surprised or? I was I wasn't surprised because growing up... You he, were or you were I wasn't surprised because growing up, he ran the household like a military institution. He was sure. very, very aggressive, very angry. He's changed a lot. Actually, my brother... I don't know if you mentioned my brother coming out of the closet. My brother coming out of the closet was a huge turning point in his life when he... I would say he... The kinder, gentler man that you met at my wedding is sure. mostly due to my brother coming out. Right. Because he... I guess when my brother came out of the closet, he realized that he needed to change some of his thinking and uh, he became that's, a lot that's softer. That's how I usually work with conservative people. They, they claim they're compassionate, but they're only willing to show compassion when it's someone that they care or love in family or, or friend. And then they're finally to show it. Like Dick Cheney's daughter is gay. So all of a sudden he realized, oh, okay, it's not a big deal. Right? <laughs> they're, they're always judging people they have no knowledge of. That's the problem with those people when they say they're Christian or this and that. But, they don't really practice what they claim to practice, so that's you know. So yeah. But, I mean, in the let's we'll talk about more about your dad. I mean, my brother. But so your dad used to torture people. He's he's a journalist. Why why the decision to leave from Vietnam? Do you know? Um. Why? Yeah, I think after the fall, he was afraid for his life because um the communist side took over, and he was obviously mid seventies seventy five. Yeah. Anti communist. Mm -hmm. He him. He got on a boat or and ended up, I think, in uh, Guam. And then from Guam, he ended up... So, you, so your dad didn't know your mom at the time? No. Okay. They, they they met at a party in D.C. for Vietnamese uh, refugees. Okay. And actually, they were the first Vietnamese couple ever in the history of the United States to be married. Um, there's actually a huge Washington Post article about them that they have in the house. And, uh, that was framed. And, and when I saw your mom three, four weeks ago or a month ago, whenever it was in New Orleans... Show me. She was. She was. She was showing me all tons and tons of picture of you and your sisters, reminding me how smart you were and how many AP classes. AP, by the way, if you don't live in the states, advanced placement. That uh, tough classes that smart kid take in high school. Which that's I right. I used right. to be smart back in the day before she I. She drove me to where the school used to be. Like she's. she's <laughs> mom, I didn't know about that. Yeah, she, 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 she's very proud of you and and 
my friend and I, we stay in your room, and then, um, you know, it, it was a very nice conversation. But she did tell me your dad went to George Washington University in engineering degree or something like yes, that. Yes, in D.C. So they met, so your, so your mom and your dad met in D.C. What's your, what's your mom's story? Like, why did she leave Vietnam? Did she torture people too? <laughs> Only with her looks. Guys that could, wanted her and couldn't have her. Um my mom was a beauty queen. She was Miss Saigon, 1974 or mm -hmm. 75, I think. Um, she was very beautiful from an aristocratic family. They had like yachts and houses sure. in Paris and crazy stuff like that. And then they lost everything in the war. And um, I guess if you were a pretty wealthy person in Vietnam, you could buy your way out. So she got out. So they met in D.C. They got married. Yeah. But why why did, did your parents decide to go to Louisiana? And I, I know there's a lot of Vietnamese in Texas because of the fishing business. Well, so there's three major Vietnamese areas. Uh, the first is Orange County. It's number one with Viet population. Second is actually Minneapolis, Minnesota. Weird. And Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> and uh, I think the third is Houston um, by way of New Orleans. I see. And I think it's all because there are three port cities by the ocean and we're called the boat people. So sure. everyone came in through boats. Um, I don't know why Minneapolis, <laughs> but there's like a huge, it's like the second biggest Vietnamese community. Is that right? Yeah. Minneapolis is a weird one because they they have a lot of Somalian. Uh, there's a lot of immigrants in Minneapolis. But Somalian and there's like, <laughs> there's a lot of Somali, Somali people there and there's like three or four famous restaurant uh within the Somali community and that's where you go if you want to be a jihadist or Al-Qaeda member. To Minneapolis? Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they found terrorist cells in Minneapolis because there's so many Somalis and And for some reason a lot of Vietnamese. But fucking Minneapolis cold as shit. Like why, if, you, if you're African why would you why would you go to like California or something? Well, that, Vietnam is the same. Vietnam, the average temperature is like 100 degrees. That's what I'm saying. Like, why Why would you go to Minneapolis? <laughs> Minneapolis is nice. People are nice. It's just cold. It's Those two groups of people are from warm regions of the world. So Maybe they wanted to go to opposites. I don't know. Very strange. Um, Houston. How did they end up in Vietnam? Oh, so they were in D.C. They ended up in D.C. And then um, my mom's family, I, she has eight brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. I guess the bulk of them ended up uh, um, in Louisiana somehow, and she wa she wanted to be close to her family, so they moved to New Orleans. I see. So um, they really worked hard, and uh, it was funny. Your mom took me like, this is where we used to live here, and we pay $150 a month here, and she was laughing like, 150 can you believe that? Like, like it, it was just like... <laughs> It was just like who's who of Louis, uh, New Orleans. What has something to do with Rosie? Everywhere <laughs> we went. Aww. Were you masturbating in my childhood bed? <laughs> no. You know what was so creepy? Next to the bloodstains. <laughs> you know what was so creepy? You had this bear in your room, and like the mouth 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 part was broken. <laughs> so it's just this creepy looking bear, stuffed bear, with the lips like. It was like I don't know how you call it. Like, in, it was inverse lips, and like you just Rick. stare at you the whole fucking uh. time. Fucking weirdos. Um, <laughs> it was the bear that I used to make love to when I was a little girl. So Rosie, so um, your dad was married before marrying your mom, and had a son. And what happened? How did they? How did it um, 
Well, what happened? They did just he he just lost the. Uh, so he was married previously in his mm-hmm. early twenties mm-hmm. to uh, my brother's um, mother, and then uh, basically they got divorced. And then after the fall of Saigon, my brother and his mother ended up in Paris, sure, because there's a huge Vietnamese population there, and obviously the French ties with Vietnam, um, imperializing Vietnam for over a hundred years. And um, back then in the seventies, they didn't have cell phones or you know computers and stuff. So my dad didn't know where they were and he just thought that that part of his life was over and he lost them sure um so then in the 80s uh and early 90s i guess my brother somehow through communication or you know back in the day you had to send actual letters in the mail Uh, somehow found my dad and he started sending him letters and my mother my, my dad when he married my mom he told her that he had never been married and that he hadn't had any children his thinking was he wanted to start over again in a new country and just forget about the past and start fresh. Um, obviously, my mom did not feel that way when she started receiving letters from a random son. <laughs> so uh, there was a big drama. And then when I was about 13 years old, I went on a study abroad program to Paris. And right before I left, my dad came to me and kind of cornered me in his office and told me, hey, you have a brother and it's your job to go find him. <laughs> Is that what happened? Yes. So he gave me a letter. Wait, wait, wait. So what? How many years is he older than you? A lot, right? Yeah, I, I'm blanking right now, but I think my brother's about 44, 45. I see. Um, my age. Yes, Yoshi, your, your age. I always think of you as 36, because that's when how old you were when I met you. I think we're 34. Um, so he he brought me into his office and showed me a bunch of pictures, and I was in complete shock. And showed me some letters and said, this is the last address that your brother was, you know, at. I don't know his current address. You know, you have a couple days off on your study abroad to go visit sure. Paris. Go find him. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. So did, did, did you tell your sisters right away, like, we have a brother? I did tell them. Um, what was their reaction? And and you're the one telling them the first time around, right? I think so. I honestly can't remember their reaction. The only thing I remember was my reaction. And so... I think and I had, what, what, what was your reaction? Kind of confusion because I, I remembered them talking about him or arguing about him when I was a little girl. And I remember asking my parents if I had a brother and they always said no. So it was huh. just really bizarre. And so I started writing to my brother in French at the address that my dad gave me because my study abroad program wasn't until another month. And I never heard any response. I went to Paris to try to find him. I couldn't find him. Oh, you didn't find him? I didn't find him. And then about six months later... I had received a letter in the mail from him. Uh, I guess he had moved and whoever lived at that address opened the letter and read the letter and somehow tried to find him and give him the letter because I was basically saying, I'm your sister. I want to find you in, in you know, horrible 13 year old girl French. French right. <laughs> so um, he ended up getting back in contact with us. And then in 2000, 2000, um, I went back to Paris with my sister, and we found him and met him for the first time. And what, what was what was that like? Um. Well, we met. They it. say gay Paris and all that <laughs> stuff, but he is gay. I mean, super gay. And you know, his husband. <laughs> her husband kind of remind me, uh, um, David Sedarius. <laughs> Like a really petite, really friendly gay next to another tiny 
gay Vietnamese guy. See, people think I'm making this up in my act when I call my brother a gaysian and make fun of him in my stand-up. No, I it's mean, true. He's, he's gay. so gay. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so gay. And they're so friendly. They're yeah. very gay and they're very French. They're very, very French. And um, how I was meeting him, I met him and I immediately knew he was gay because one, he was with his partner and two, he's just so gay. And then we went What's to, your brother's name? Quan. Uh, and what's your um, brother? Brother-in-law, no. Renault. And we went to um, their home, which, I mean, you can't, there's like rainbow flags and like posters of nude men. Like you can't hide it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh his husband had lived in San Francisco and done other like super gay things. So it was like, you can't hide it. There was just posters everywhere of nude men. Wait, hold on. Did you just, just living in San Francisco? It's just a super gay thing. Or No, he was in San Francisco, like at the height of like gay San Francisco. Oh yeah. yeah. And just super other gay stuff. Yeah. I'm not bashing San Francisco. Rosie, it's my favorite it, city. Rosie, it's called AIDS. All right. Um. <laughs> so, um, but it was great. I mean, my brother's so friendly and fun and open and his, hubby is so fun so i mean i didn't have any issue with it but it's it, it just that anyone who get mad at gay people like you couldn't possibly get angry they're so friendly they're just like <laughs> you just look like you can't you might as well get angry at spongebob <laughs> my brother is so non-threatening when people are no. threatened when people are threatened by gay men i don't know what they're talking about because he's so friendly in his hot pink shirt tank top <laughs> they're very 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 nice so you met them, and, and, and from get-go, you got along with them, right? We got along great. Um, it's nice to have another sister. That Well, that's what we kind of joke with my dad. We're like, oh, he had, you had four girls, dad. And my yeah. dad is, was, at the time, such a chauvinistic, you know, traditional male. It just, you know, killed him, I think. But, yeah. But he, he's okay with it now. Oh, yeah. He's totally fine with it now. I can't wait to when he tell you have a second brother <laughs> from another marriage he never told you. My dad was crazy back in the day. He was like smoking opium and like torturing people. And, you know, he's like, we called him out you on know it. What? I, I changed my mind. I, I like your dad now. <laughs> because Smoke be opium, torture people. Because, well, here's what happened. When my sister was 15 years old, she, my dad found a pipe in her car because she smokes weed. And he got so mad. And we found out that he smoked opium from my uncle. Yeah. And it's like, my, so I think one time they got into a huge fight and my dad was like, how could you do this? How could you shame the family? And my sister's like, you smoked opium. And he just got this look on his face and just shut up and didn't say anything. And he, he but how do you guys know that he smoked opium? My uncle. Who, who this fucking chatterbox, <laughs> fucking gossip monger. <laughs> who is it? God, mm -hmm. is he gay too? He's not, he's not, but, uh, he's, he, he is a character. Is he older or younger brother to your dad? Uh, okay, so he's not even my real uncle. We just call him uncle. He is my dad's ex-wife's younger brother. Huh? Yeah. Weird. Very weird. <laughs> it gets weirder. <laughs> There's more weird stuff. Well, I want to hear more weird stuff. Like what? I mean, we just have a weird family. Like every single time, my sister talks about it all the time. She's like, every single time she watches that stupid Kardashian show, she's like, our family is 20,000 times more interesting than this dumb Kardashian family. <laughs> Like, we have real funny stuff, not just, like, or just weird, interesting stuff, not just, like, fake, you know, like, having Kanye put it up your butt and stuff like that. <laughs> so, you, going back, so you you met your brother, everything's cool. Um, wh where are you with the whole family? Are they are they doing well? Um, uh, my family's doing good, yeah. My mom um, is back in New Orleans. My parents are divorced now. Mm -hmm. 
And my sister lives in New York with her hubby, and he's a fashion photographer. She's left the fashion industry and works on Wall Street. And my little sister is a writer. She's at a full scholarship at Ole Miss right now. So my family is doing good. Good. Yeah, I'm just, you know, the lone wolf out here in L.A. Um, so what what is it like? I think we had this conversation before, but what, what is it like to be, you know, you've been here 10 years as a young Asian woman in L.A. Um, it's it's really weird when, um, guys, you know, I guess guys who have an Asian fetish or whatever, but is it weird? Is it is the same just like in New Orleans or is it LA was a little different for you? No, LA's different. But you know where actually it's really, really bad is the Midwest. I have gone to the Midwest and had just the creepiest guys we, we have approach people me. Listening to the show that, that <laughs> no no doesn't live in the States. So when we say Midwest, uh, you know, you're talking places like Iowa, uh, but it, not Chicago, but small town like Iowa, um, Ohio, Kansas, anything. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Yeah. I I Oklahoma, went to yeah. I went to Cleveland, Ohio, and I have never been so aggressively hollered at in my entire life. I thought I was gonna get raped on the streets, and I I'm not a ten people. <laughs> I'm like a eight or a seven, um, low sevens. I had guys grabbing me like like obsessed with me following me around i was like what is going on here it was but rosie to crazy. be fair you you're wearing rape me t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> when i actually this when i went to um i mean i could see that it was more aggressive than when i went to the, on the military tours and when i went to the military tours well, they gave me a rape whistle <laughs> but why 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 the midwest do you have any theories why i do have a theory and one of my friends who i'm not gonna name him because i don't know if he feels comfortable with me naming him he's a comedian from the midwest and he said that in the midwest it's just pretty much black or white and just plain white girls i mean no offense white girls please don't get, get mad at me so anything dark middle eastern latino asian is like exotic, exotic yeah. yeah and he just said he's a comedian friend of mine who's from cleveland he said when he moved to la he felt like he was in heaven because he never saw anything like you know the women out here not because you know they're so gorgeous but just because the just variety different yeah variety yeah. and i i have also been to kentucky and had that experience i was in kentucky with a boyfriend he went to the bathroom for one second and like four guys swarmed me so i think it's just a variety thing you know of course there's beautiful beautiful white women but when you see that constantly it's like white guys that go to asia you know mm -hmm. a lot of asian women constantly see asian men you see something different you're like oh i want that you know sure but it was it's pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> so not not a lot of that in LA then. No, it's so diverse out here. But Midwest guys, I'm very open to stalkers. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> What's your Twitter account? At Funny Rosie. I have an Amazon wish list. Help me out. The girl's broke. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't know that. I I thought I don't know. You see a lot of these scumbag show business people in LA trying to hit on Asian girls or whatever. I I just thought. I, I I always think strange because every time you watch TV or movie, you see Asian guys with the fixation with a white woman. But in reality, there's more of, especially Jewish guys going after Asian girls, and I, I see a lot of that in LA. There are, but I didn't have that much luck with Jewish guys. Actually, I tried to date Jewish men in my mid twenties before mm -hmm. I was married, and it was weird because a lot of Jewish guys really liked me, but they had a lot of issues with taking me seriously because I guess Jewish moms really want you to marry a Jewish girl. Sure. So I could... Well, I mean, Asian fathers <laughs> want their kids to marry Asians too. Yeah. So it was really hard for me to have a Jewish guy that took me seriously because, you know, I wasn't Jewish or he was scared to bring me home to mom or whatever. Sure. 
Well, Mark Zuckerberg is married to a Chinese girl, you know. Yes. And she's uh, a doctor. Well, yeah, that, that helps a lot. <laughs> that helps. So, um, Rosie, um, comedy-wise, are you, are you are you planning to travel more coming up? I am. I have. A, I don't know when you're going to release this. I, I am headlining in San Diego like a, in November. But, I mean, that's the only headlining thing I have lined up right now. I'm just trying to get myself out there more and do more shows. I want to go overseas, but... Um, I don't know. Like, I know you went, you did a tour for military. Where was it again when you went to? I went on two tours. I went to Germany, uh, Bosnia, uh, Belgium. It was a Europe tour and a couple other places. And I also went to Iraq and Kuwait, which was. Let's talk about those two first. Um, So, what what was it like? You know, when you find out you're going to Middle East, what were you. I was really excited. I really wanted to go. I wanted to go to Afghanistan and I was slated to go to Afghanistan. But last minute there was a major um, attack. attack. There was an attack and they were too scared to have me out there. So they rerouted us to Iraq and Kuwait. Okay. And um, I mean, it was pretty scary. A lot of people think it's safe. Like, I mean, not safe, but safe. Like you're on bases and things are safe. There was a couple of bomb attacks while I was there because I went... Usually when celebrities go over to perform for the troops, they only stay on the main um, installations. So there's a big, big base in Baghdad right by the airport. And when you see, you know, Kathy Griffin or Jon Stewart or a big celebrity, they only send them to the safe bases. Sure. Well, I'm like a C-list comedian. So they sent me all the way out, you know, to the middle of nowhere because they just can't afford the insurance for the bigger comics. So, you know, basically when I'm not trying to downplay celebrity comedians but a lot of times when they go out there they're going to very very safe places sure whereas the you know comedians like me are being sent out to where the troops really need them which is great because the troops were really supportive but um i drove on the most dangerous street in the world um with the most ied attacks and i had two bodyguards with me oh that's the road leads to baghdad airport right yeah um and i went to a base is it kaboom boulevard (laughs) I don't know what it's called, but we got into like a super armored car and I had two bodyguards. And yeah, there was a period like first five years. I mean, IED is going to, I don't even know, into, I know explosive device. I don't even remember what I stands for, but yeah, they were just pl- improvised. Yeah. Uh, no, or something explosive device. Yeah. But, um, it, so that was crazy. I was kind of scared, you know, I mean, it was only like a 15 minute ride, but mm-hmm. it was, they said it was the most dangerous street in the world, um, because of, the most it had the most bombs on it or whatever and i took it to get to this base in downtown baghdad and um that was great that was one of the best shows and i went to um what what, what was the troops reaction are, are they genuinely happy to see you guys and i mean it was mixed there were shows that we did where um there were soldiers that came out to me and said i saved their life because they were so depressed or so miserable yes that they wanted to commit suicide and that the comedy show and other entertainers that came out like saved their lives. Um, then there was some where they didn't ca- couldn't care less. I went to one installation where we literally performed on their lunch break, and they were so exhausted they didn't even want to like really enjoy the show. There was right. no mic; it wasn't a professional show, you know. Um, and they just they were they weren't appreciative, but I don't think it's because they didn't appreciate us. I think they were just so exhausted. Exhausted. Right? You're on this you know base in the middle of nowhere working 11 hour days. Um, so you guys never got out in the streets. And uh, you know, travel and check it out. Obviously, you just stay in military bases to a little bit. No, we did. We went to you know, we did do some sightseeing in um, Baghdad. In Baghdad, we went to see the Cross Swords. We went to see. Um, That's we did. Crazy. We did go <laughs> <So> out. Crazy. <laughs> we did go out and about, but I, 
um, I kind of felt like a celebrity because I always had a, like an armored. I had a translator and an sure. armored um, guard with me that had, you know, like a machine gun. <laughs> but it, at that time, it was necessary because it was a couple years ago when it was a lot more dangerous. Hey, and did, did you have a chance to interact with the Iraqis at all? Or I did. I had a translator and I talked to some Iraqis. Um, it definitely was a different point of view because over here we're, we're brainwashed that, you know, Saddam is evil and crazy and a dictator. And a lot of, a lot of the Iraqis loved him. And they said, you know, they used to call him Papa Saddam, and he was the joy you of. Call him what? Papa Saddam. And a lot of the Iraqi people told me that they love Saddam, and that they they didn't feel he's a dictator at all, and that he was the person to unite Iraq because of the the you know all of the different like. Um, <laughs> Rick's cat is being adorable right now on Yoshi's like, um, because of all all of the different ethnic groups in Iraq that the West didn't understand that this is from certain Iraqis, not all of them, obviously, but some Iraqi people told me that the West doesn't, Rosie, but, to, but to, to be fair, they haven't lived in free society like America. So their notion of freedom and what's good, it's not as comparable to what we expect from the government. I agree, but I'm just letting you know yeah, that, yeah. that our but, point but of, our point of view mm-hmm. is that Saddam's evil and he's a dictator and he must be taken down. Yeah. But not all Iraqi people felt yeah, like that. Right. A lot of Iraqi people loved him. They said he, um, Put in huge educational installments for women. I understand. Just like uh, we're we're at Rick's place, he loved Papa Hitler. <laughs> he loved Papa Hitler, and um, and, um they were <laughs> they were saying that uh, you know when Saddam was in office, there was you know a running electricity in almost ninety percent of sure. the country, whereas when the Americans came, there's like no electricity or water. <laughs> so a lot of them were having a hard time seeing America, the American invasion as a positive. Right. Let's just say that. And. It's one of those things that um, I'm not saying I support Saddam either way. I'm not a political person, but they they have more freedom now. But it's one of those things where if you didn't fight for your freedom and earn it and and someone just give it to you, it's it's um, it's a different it's. it's, I don't think they appreciate as much as people actually had to fight for it. Does that make sense to you? Um, I don't think they appreciate it at all. Many, a lot of the Iraqi people want the Americans out ASAP. They don't mm -hmm. feel like they're being liberated at all. Sure. A lot of people. I mean, most the majority of Iraqi people I talked to love Saddam Hussein. They absolutely loved him. That's, but I mean, I didn't go wandering around Iraq interviewing people. Sure. But the Iraqi people I talked to, you know, they really they thought he was great. He was put, you know, teaching women to read and getting electricity. He believed that Iraq was, you know, the 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 birthplace of civilization because it was this Sumer- Tigris, yeah, the, the Sumerian uh, culture. Mm-hmm. And that he was trying to bring Iraq back to the uh, height of civilization that it was back then. He thought it was. That's what yes, I was told. That's what. That's what. <laughs> that's what he believes. That's what he thought he was doing. But you know, come on. I'm just saying. You asked me. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what the Iraqi people that I spoke to were right, saying. Right, right. They didn't. They don't feel like America's liberation. I didn't. I didn't tear any. I didn't shed any tear when he died. But I do think sometimes. Uh, Maybe we would have been better under him, stability. And who did to say this um, Arab Spring would have never spread to Iraq? So I, I will never know. I mean, I, I have a lot of love and respect for Christopher Hitchens, but I'm just not as smart f- like someone like that to say one way or another if this thing was good or not. But, you know, we, we went in and um, it's been over 10 years. What was what was Quit like for you? Oh, Quit was great. I feel like I was in a resort city. <laughs> So obviously, a huge difference, right? Yeah. Huge difference. Totally free society. Um, some women were covered, some were not. It was. It's not like Saudi. 
Um, it, uh, I liked it. It was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very expensive. <laughs> um, I think the Iraqi dinar is the highest uh, currency in the world. It's worth what? I don't, Three I, U.S. dollars to one dinar? Something like that. It's crazy because of all the oil. And uh, I just felt like I was in a resort deserty area. It was great. So you, you went to the military bases only? No, in Kuwait, we were, it's free. We were allowed to do whatever, go shopping, hang out. And well, so you, you, the thing that scared me the most was when we went into Iraq, they took our passports. The U.S. Mm-hmm. military took our passports <laughs> away from us. And then we had to sign something that said we had never been in Iraq or some kind of weird clearance thing. What? It was, yeah, it was weird. Um, and all well, the, why, why, why do you think, why did they do that? I don't know, but I didn't like my passport being taken away and I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to go like in the dead of night and all this weird stuff. Well, yeah, obviously because you don't want people to shoot, start shooting you guys down or anything. Yeah, so I don't know why they took our passports, but they. But def- did you when you when you go for that part of the world, you fly from um, states to Europe, then from Europe you take the military flights, right? Not you don't take United or Delta or anything like that. No, we took the so we took the uh, commercial airline to Kuwait, and then we took military flights into Iraq. Ah, yeah. So you go straight from LAX to Kuwait. No, we went to, from LAX to somewhere. I can't remember. So it's got to be someplace in, in Europe. Europe. Yeah. yeah, and then we went to Kuwait. Okay. Via um, Emirates or something. I can't remember. So, so Kuwait, you could walk around. You didn't have... Uh, um, I didn't have an escort. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had to stay with the comedy group, mm-hmm. obviously. But yeah, we went shopping. We walked around. We interacted with people. What What's some of the big difference between the two countries? Oh, Kuwait feels... Basically, it feels like America, except yeah. for there's Middle Eastern people there. <laughs> it's nice. It's very nice. Um, modern, modern, shopping. yeah, shopping. Very, very nice. And but you only did show for Americans at the military bases, correct? I did not do any international shows except for one base. I did a NATO base where there was mixed soldiers. I don't know why I was in a NATO base. I can't remember where. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm blanking. But I did a NATO base where there was soldiers from all over the world. Sure. And I was completely surprised that they understood English very well and got my humor, especially the Swedish soldiers. Oh, my God. They were crazy. They were trying to get me drunk. Um, Swedish? Yeah. They were crazy. Nuts. I did. I think I did two NATO bases, actually. There was a lot of NATO soldiers in Baghdad for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I did another NATO base. And there was a lot. There was It was like majority foreign soldiers. And I did one show with Iraqi soldiers and they kind of don't smile that much yes <laughs> so i was kind of scared <laughs> but they did come up to me afterwards and say i was funny and grunt at me <laughs> and what, what was the european tours like oh it was great first of all um i don't know why we have so many bases in germany i think it was like 28 bases <laughs> in germany but i didn't do all of them i think i just did 10 um Jesus, was, that's still a lot i don't know what we're doing in germany but there's a lot of bases uh i toured some world war ii um Hitler bases, which were kind of creepy, and some places where the well, Jews, I, I think we Jews were, were still, tortured. We, I think we were still worried about um, the threat of Russia and you know Germany's central. There was Europe. a lot of military bases in Germany. Sure. I was very shocked. And then uh, they, um, they, they are our good great friends. And, uh, <laughs> and no, wanna, she's like, I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> we 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 want to make sure you know nothing. I, I think people are still afraid of the traditional military you know military oh don't, <laughs> rex cat's going crazy um you know just the aggression and military uh, forces of germany you know don't get they're out pretty of peaceful i have some well, friends now sure i have course. friends that are german that said that 
Germany is very sensitive because of the Nazi regime about military stuff. So people and, and tend Germ to be overly I've peaceful. I say this all the time. Germans have done a wonderful job uh, apologizing for past and trying not to repeat that sort of things. Uh, whereas I'm from Japan, and boy, it's, <laughs> they still haven't apologized. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable that Japanese language, which is very polite, where you say, Sumimasen, which is, I'm sorry, this is Sumimasen, a lot of things when you bumped into people or asking somebody for help. But boy, they cannot say Sumimasen when, when they talk about invading somebody's country and gang raping. Actually, I, it's a, strange to me. Another tie, mm -hmm. since you're talking about that, my dad, uh, who is 73 years old, he grew up during the Japanese invasion, and my grandfather's home was invaded by Japanese and used as a torture, another torture, back to more torture. And so my dad is petrified of Japanese people because he remembers growing up and people being tortured in his home by the Japanese. So they used your grandfather's house as a torture? Yes, more torture. <laughs> There's a lot of torture in my life. I can't wait till you have kids because I know you'll be torturing them. <laughs> so yeah, so the Japanese invaded my grandfather's house and used it as a base or some type of torture place. Um, but, oh, have you seen the Grandmaster? No. Okay. There's a, I, I just saw it. It's really good. It's a good. It's by Wong Kar Wai, right? Uh, I'm not sure. It's a Kung Fu movie. And uh, yes, Rick's saying yes. Wong yes. And uh, they, they My show. My friend Telly Wan uh, works for him. Oh, really? So, yeah. I know Telly. So Telly took Wong Kar Wai to Vice's office in Williamsburg in New York. And, um, and um, we were both friends of Russell Peters, but he's Vietnamese fighter friend Khan. Mm -hmm. He's in the movie too. He's a mixed martial art fighter, fighter in night. Uh, Yoshi said farter. He, uh, <laughs> he's incredible. I, 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 I see Khan Lee, I think that's his name. He's Vietnamese fighter. I, I just can't believe he and I were the same species. I mean, he looked like a real man because <laughs> he's built like a brick wall. Like, um, he, I think he fought, he fought in Hong Kong or something like that, or maybe even um, Macau like a year ago. He knocked this motherfucker out. Like, <laughs> I, I can't, and I saw his arms. <laughs> it, it was just very sad, me standing next to him. I looked like Gumby, <laughs> and then um, they, they, China, uh, Vietnamese Conan the Barbarian next to me. They show they show about the Japanese invasion in World War II in China, and it's it's a good history. It's a good kung fu movie with some history in it. I think you'd like it. Oh, it's the modern times. No, it's it takes place in the uh, from 1930 to about 1950. I see. It talks about the invasion, the history of Kung Fu, the history. Of, I know this is very Asian, two Asians on a podcast talking about Kung Fu, but it talks about the history of Kung Fu and um, I don't know anything about it. Wing actually. Chun. I don't know. It's yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. There's a chick that kicks butt. So. How, how does. um? And, and, and I know I know whenever I mean. We're, we're at Rick Hall's place. He's a good friend of mine and somebody I used to work for. And he's white, but he's he's very cognizant of difference between different Asian culture. But for most white people, and I don't blame him, how 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 would you know the difference if you um um if you don't know? Like looking at different Asian groups, you you, you wouldn't know. I can't usually tell region. Like I can tell Southeast Asia or sure. like Chinese or Japanese Korean. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I usually just ask people. I'm, it's just like, you know, what's the difference between, you know, if you just looked at them without them opening their, mou their mouths, a German or, you know, a Swedish or, you know, people. Um, uh, yeah. But who, who does Vietnamese people hate traditionally, like uh, Cambodian? Because they're next to each other. It's, it's pretty safe whenever. Vietnamese people are pretty friendly, but I mean, they've always had a spirit to be independent. 
if you look at the history of Vietnam, it's always been, they've always been suppressed. You know, China for 3,000 years and then the French for 100 years. Yeah, Viet- that's that's the funny thing. When, when the Vietnamese were fighting the Americans. And then the Americans. We, <laughs> no, we were, we were afraid that the... That the, the communist domino was spread throughout Southeast Asia. We can't let Asia turn into red, communist red, right? And and if you study a little bit about Vietnamese history, Vietnamese people do not like Chinese traditionally, and Chinese don't have respect for Vietnamese. It's a territorial thing too, but they 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 don't. I mean, traditionally, so our fear that Chinese and Vietnamese will become friends after toppling American government, it was a I mean, looking back now, it's a wishful thinking. Well, I think a lot of American policy, foreign policy, didn't understand the history of Vietnam. And I think that's why. Not only did they didn't understand, they didn't even bother to read it. <laughs> no, they, they didn't. It's true. It's true. Because if, you know, if they, v- Vietnam is the only country in the history of America that's ever defeated America in a war. And the reason for that is because the American foreign policy didn't do any research. It's like we, uh, Vietnam was tired of being dominated pretty much. Not only that, but America was fighting two wars, right? Like war in Vietnam, but in civil rights back home. Civil rights, yeah. and um, I think that's what literally killed President Lyndon Johnson because he was literally fighting two wars, and and ha- and half the American public didn't even know where Vietnam was or care what was going on. No, there. and 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 you know, like Lyndon Johnson, I think couple he passed away within a few years of uh, getting out of office. His I'm stress. His his hair <laughs> was, was like white. It was turned white because that's the stress of dealing with something like that. And um, um, it never ceased to amaze me like these policy people make decisions. I mean, I, I don't know what it is now, but I remember 10, 15 years ago, they did a survey uh, that politician you know, in Washington, D.C. I couldn't believe the rate of people that didn't have passport. Like, they don't even travel overseas, and they're making decisions to affect this country, and and they don't know any, they don't know anything about that country. And uh, I remember in the fifty, there was a, f- a uh, senator who famously s- talked about Korean War, and he said something like, "Every time there's a war in Europe, we have to be dragged into it." He didn't even know that was in uh, in Asia, you know. <laughs> well, actually, um, I saw an interview in. What, when did when did George W. Bush Jr. run for his first term? 2098? No, no, no. 2000. 2000. 2000. So when he ran, he... He, he, he was inaugurated January 20th, uh, 2001. They did an interview with him on CNN, a preliminary, mm-hmm. during the primaries, and they asked him several foreign policy questions, including who was the president of um, France and some other basic foreign policy questions, and he had no idea. Yeah. No concept at all. And this is... Supposed to be the leader of the free world. <laughs> this is a disheartening thing that people hear about America. It's, it's terrifying to tell some overseas how little we show interest outside of ourselves, right, overseas in other countries. And they're frustrated with us because they have no say in who we will elect as president. And we, whoever we select have an influence throughout the world. And that's the frustrating part because they, they just basically <laughs> said that stand there and watch President Bush get elected twice. I have nothing against the man, but the quality that you need to win to become a president versus being effective and um, good president or, or great president, it's a different scales, I think. And I think he had one, but not other. Not other. 
Well, I don't think I don't know who is going to run in the next election after Obama steps down, but I don't know that there is a person. I actually thought John Kerry was a great candidate. He has a lot of foreign policy. I mean, now he's secretary of state, but he's pretty uh, well versed in foreign policy. He's well versed. But he wasn't likable, supposedly. He's well versed. And I think um, pretty smart guy. I think very smart guy. And I think he even speaks French. He speaks French fluently, which suppose which this is sad, which was a mark against him among the American people. Because they ridicule him for speaking Because supposedly French. Americans don't like the French, which I have never understood. And I never, uh, can you believe I did not understand that stereotype at all? Because one, I grew up in New Orleans, which many people in New Orleans speak French. And it was a French uh, province for many, many years. So people in New Orleans absolutely adore the French. There's a strong French influence there. And I also. In fact, Louisiana have Napoleonic code. That's yes, one of we have Napoleonic law. law. Mm-hmm. So, and Whatever I'll, that means. Um, it means that we don't follow the same. Uh, laws as the rest of the federal yeah. government. Um, it's laissez-faire politics. And um, also, I come from Vietnamese background, which also adores the French. So growing up... Oh, wait. Adore now, but you didn't <laughs> like it when they were occupying Vietnam. However long France occupied there, Vietnam. There's a, there is a friendship amongst the French and the sure. Vietnamese. So I grew up adoring French culture sure. and it, being in a situation that almost idolized the French. So when I met people i thought when people said that the americans hate the french it was like a bad stereotype kind of like asians can't drive or asian you know black people have bad credit <laughs> i thought it was like like fake like a fake thing but i actually have met americans that hate the french and it's so bizarre to me to this day it's bizarre because they don't know what they're talking about first of all well and also mm-hmm. i noticed that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy i have been to france now three or four times mm-hmm. i have never ever 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 had a negative experience yet all all, all the people that i meet that hate the French, quote unquote, when they visit France, they always have a negative experience. And I think it's because they're going over there with a chip on their shoulders that the French hate Americans. And, but it's just not true. And, and quite often, they don't even do some remedial preparation of knowing something about French culture, French history, or basic things saying at least bonjour and merci. Yeah, I went to Germany and I learned at least how to say thank you, you know, danke. Yeah, you know, you have to make those efforts and I, I, I don't know. It's just so dumb when they say stuff like that. I, I, I think France is a great power. And I don't I don't like what they do in Africa. I, I don't like the... Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 no think, I agree. I, I think some of the things the French people did in past and will continue to do, I, it's, it's very questionable. They still have their colonial mentality. But having said that, I've been to France a couple of times. I, I, I think it's, it's a wonderful country. But I've never had that mm-hmm. experience. A lot of people say, oh, they're the very French nice. are they're so rude. They're so they hate Americans. I've never had that experience at I, I, all. I think it's that's nonsense. And I've uh, always e- had even, French people be gracious Rosie, to me. Even when I feel like somebody's being rude, I give them benefit of doubt because what one culture consider rudeness might not necessarily be a rude thing than another. So that's true. That's we, true. We don't, we don't wanna we don't wanna assume that. I wanna give people benefit of doubt. You know, even if you don't speak the language, when somebody's being malicious, you could feel that energy, right? You can feel the energy. And another thing too is. If you learn basic French, I speak mm. French decently just because of my brother and my trips there. Sure. My husband doesn't speak any French, but he made an effort to learn thank you, yeah. hello. When you are an American and you say thank you, hello, bonjour, whatever in French, yeah. uh, French people's faces literally light up and then they will speak English for you sure. because they most of them speak English anyway because they learned English from a very early age and England is right there next door. So And they're very proud of their They're very proud of they're very their heritage. Proud of their tradition and culture and and then you should respect them and um anytime you make a minimal effort as an american mm-hmm. I, I saw f- 
French people's faces light up and then they went out of their way to accommodate us sure. in English and other things. Like when I went to Scandinavia, they never get angry if I start speaking English because they all speak English and then um, they're not rude at all. I tried, but uh, they say, oh, don't don't bother. It's not a it's not a. But if you make an effort. Yeah, yeah you make, if you an, make effort, an effort. That's it. And, and it takes two words. And you and I have additional um, advantage in that when white Europeans see us, they don't necessarily think we're Americans. So when we're trying to speak English, even to a French person, at least they feel like we're trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> they give they give us a benefit of doubt. Like at least we were trying to say something. I, I just think more Americans. It's necessary for more Americans to travel overseas. It is, but don't wear Hawaiian shirts, guys, don't, because don't you do look that. like really bad. And and, and people and know you're read, American. Read books like uh, you know Rick Steves of the world, who who trying to help Americans travel overseas at budget travel. You don't have to spend a million dollars to have a million dollar experience. This is something Rick Steves said, and I think it's really necessary that people travel. I'm I'm. I'm a huge supporter of that. It's it's a You learn a lot about yourself too because mm-hmm. you learn you're put in a situation that's out of the norm. Most people go wake up, go to work, go home, and they're sure. in a very routine lifestyle. When you travel, you're forced to open parts of your brain that you don't normally use because you're not doing a routine, right. you're exploring new things. And it just makes you more reactive, but not in a negative way, like not angry, but reacting to new and different situations and it helps your brain to grow. And I've been in a situation like I remember going to Berlin one year. I had a reservation at a hotel. When I got there, the place is shut down. <laughs> it's 11.30, midnight, and, like, I don't know what to do. But the thing is, you just don't panic. And um, It teaches you how to think on your toes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I didn't like it. It was raining. It was dark. It was cold. It was October in Germany. I, I just calmed down. I started walking around randomly because I didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. Eventually, I saw a couple of hotels. I went in, and well, how much for the night? You you get, you get You'll figure You'll figure out, but those are the kind of like experiences you remember the most. And like even embarrassing things, time sometimes um, you know I made a lot of mistake, angering people that I didn't even know. I went to the German bus. I thought you just throw money into this hole. <laughs> that sounds like something else Yoshi does. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought you throw the money in her hole. Oh, yes, <laughs> and um, I don't know why she got mad. And you're supposed to place it on top, and the bus driver will put it in for you. But, you know, once the third time I did it, this guy was yelling at me, and I say, sorry, in English. And he's, he just calmed down because he doesn't like it, but at least I didn't know, you know. Yeah. But th- those are those kind of misunderstanding things. But you sh- you learn to laugh about it, and you move on, you know. And, and also going off on your own, like um, when we went to Venice, my husband and I, we there was... Um, What's your husband's name? Andrew. We went to Venice, and... We follow, you know, the travel plans and all the sightseeing and the mm. tourist stuff on day one. And then the day two and three, we just randomly went around Venice and wandered into different churches and wandered all did over. You, by, by the way, did you like that? Even though I know your husband's name, I just act like a reporter. <laughs> what, what's his name again? Is he white? <laughs> so that's the most fun I've had when mm. I travel is when I just wander around, don't know what I'm doing. And I've wandered around many places. I wouldn't do that in Saudi Arabia, but I, there are certain cities where I just... It's safer than people think. A lot of people think travel is dangerous. Someone could pickpocket you. Someone could do this. Someone could do that. Most people are just going about their normal life. They're not looking for people to target. And if you don't have like a fanny pack and a $5,000 camera, no one's going to do anything to you. You know, no one's going to mug you. No one's going to do anything. And it helps like you do your homework. You know where you're going and have a little bit, not swagger, but just be confident. Like you feel like you're not afraid to be there. You And just common sense, you know, just use common sense. I know a lot of people don't have that, but... 
I, I also think traveling shows a lot about people's personality under stress. I've traveled with people who, um, you know, were in an ama- I was in an amazing country with them and they wanted to go to McDonald's to eat. Sure. It was crazy. I'm all, okay, you could eat any kind of cuisine right now and you're going to go to McDonald's like that is insanity to me. And because they wanted to go somewhere safe where they didn't think, you know, they didn't want their stomach to get upset. It's like, if you're going to go to a different country, you got to try the food. You can't go to McDonald's. That's crazy. Yes, I agree with you completely. I do it more because it's also a way to save money too, because if the locals are buying it all the time, chances are it's probably a comfort food and cheaper to buy. And fresh, fresher and more, you know, Mm. and delicious and, you know, people are always scared to, oh, what if I eat cat or what if I eat this and that or what if I eat a snail? Uh, usually on a menu, there's like 40 items and you can pick something simple. Like it doesn't happen. <laughs> Just and don't it, order something yeah. questionable. <laughs> Use common sense. But if you ate a cat or snail, whatever, okay, you ate it. I mean, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's like these people have been doing for hundreds of years. It's yeah. not like if you eat them, you're going to die. It's just, this is a problem with not just Americans, but people have like a irrational notion Fear. of the yeah. risk. I mean, more people get killed falling out of um, shower tubs and stuff like that. They trip and breaking their leg or breaking their neck, you know, but most people think they're worried by shark attack and terrorist attack. And well, that's me, what that's I'm not saying it's not going to happen, <laughs> but for most people probably going up or down the stairs is more dangerous than actually worrying about well, that's what happened attack. when I went to Iraq. I talked to a lot of people and I said, you know, are you scared being out here in a danger zone? And I heard multiple stories of people living and working in Iraq for two or three years. Nothing happened. They came back to the U.S. and they got in a car accident and died. Yeah. Or they had a friend that got in a car accident and died. So even though they were getting bombed out on a daily basis, it was more dangerous to ride on the freeway out here <laughs> than it, it to be in Iraq. This, this irrational fear. But I think for most Americans, really, when it comes down to it, um, I think most people can go overseas, but they they just they're just afraid, and and you shouldn't be afraid. You should go overseas. I mean, you, it's 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 um, it's never too late. It just I I just feel bad for couples in their late sixties and seventies that finally working all their life, taking care of families. Then now that they're in retirement, they're in travel, but it's not that you can't enjoy when you're sixty or seventy. But it's better shit when you're younger. I I I think yeah. I I think. People shouldn't assume they're going to be here forever, you know? No, I agree with that. That happened to my dad's colleague. He was saving his entire life to retire to travel, and then he had a heart attack. It just People just assume things like that, and when you have opportunity, you should go. And I'm a... Look, I'm, I'm, I'm financially, I'm in shambo. <laughs> go on Yoshidin.com, buy T-shirts. <laughs> it's, it's not good, but I've been unemployed for a while, but even then... I made a decision that I don't want to have a place to stay. I just sleep on other people's couch because I, I just can't. I, it's like I'm at the right As place. Rick is shaking his head. <laughs> Even without a job and, and, and living off a little bit of money, unemployment, a little bit of savings I have, I, I refuse to cut traveling part out of my life. I just refuse to do that. Well, and that's your passion. Yeah, it, and, and it really helps me as a person to meet different co- meet different people and culture in different countries. And I have I, I absolutely have no fear. And... I'm going to, looks like within a month or two, I'm going to uh, Sweden and I will live there for three months, do a lot of stand-up comedy uh, podcast. But uh, um, I made a decision that if anyone have opportunity for me to go um, overseas and, you know, uh, liberal working condition or let me stay with, uh, I'm, I'm willing to go. Like if somebody offered me to say, come to Tanzania for three months, 
and 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 find shitty job and do podcasts, whatever. I'm willing to do that. So I'm just letting. I'm going to from now every episode telling people like, if there's opportunity like that, I, I will go wherever and do that. And like you know, maybe spend a couple months in that particular country. Everything I could learn about that country, interviewing interesting people throughout, you know. And obviously, believe me, I'm not doing this for money because there's absolutely no money in podcasting. Um, so buy a T-shirt from Yoshi no, and I mean, go on I mean, Rosie's Amazon wish list. <laughs> so yeah. So Ro- Rosie, um, I think we have a few more minutes. Um, what what's your Twitter account again? My Twitter is at Funny Rosie, mm. and my website is RosieTran.com. Follow me, stalk me, do whatever. I don't care as long as you don't try to physically harm me. Come to my shows, buy my T-shirts, <laughs> follow me, comment. I comment back. And uh, any anyone has. Um, a role for Rosie in TV or acting or in a movie, <laughs> a gigs, modeling jobs. Great. Contact her. I'm gonna have Great to blow personality. Him now. <laughs> um, yeah, modeling jobs. I love to model unless you're creepy and want me to do weird things. So, which has happened. Um, well, Rosie, think thanks. Do you have any other interesting stuff you want to talk about? Or um, I, I know you're busy too. You know you have to take care about the. Um, um, no, but I'll, hopefully I'll be back on Yoshi Didn't and I'll have more stories. Yeah, I, I definitely want to know because I think, aren't you planning to go to Vietnam with your husband? I am. I'm planning to go to Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia. Um, that's our next big trip. And then South America to follow. I think the Southeast Asia, I hope you guys uh, update blog every day because I'm, I'm curious about Andrew's reaction. He's from Midwest, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Indiana, Indianapolis. What did I say about Midwest boys? They're into Asian girls. <laughs> so yeah, so next time I, I definitely want to like hear that trip, and I hope you have a blog or something. You should take a picture and like update. Like I'm, I'm curious about Andrew's reaction. You know, if you're an Indiana boy, a white Indiana boy from Midwest of America, to go to Vietnam, Cambodia, and <laughs> like that, it's pretty radical. You know, I'm sure he's not used to traveling overseas, right? Um, he's getting used to it. I eased him in with a trip to Mexico. Sure. And then we went to Europe for a honeymoon. But I, uh, he's definitely growing and evolving <laughs> as I'm, we I'm, travel. I'm glad, um, it's working out for him. And, um, I know you guys have a successful marriage and, you know, keep up doing stand up. And I'm, I'm sure, um, good things will come to you, Rosie. All right. Um, thanks for listening to this uh, episode with Rosie Tran. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, um, I can't wait till Rosie does the next time, and after her South, sorry, the cat is bothering. Southeast Asia trip, and uh, I also like to remind everyone that our, our good friend Kathy uh, Buck up in St. Helena in Napa Valley, she has a wonderful movie theater called um, Cameo uh, Cinema. It's the absolutely the the best single uh, theater cinema. And I saw a movie there over the summer, and it's wonderful. So it's St. Helena, California, uh, Camille Cinema. And, uh, you know, if you have a chance to watch a movie there, after the movie, say hello to Kathy Buck. Uh, she's wonderful. She is friend with uh, Robert Redford and Francis Ford Coppola, and they premiere their movies always first time at the Camille Cinema. So check her, uh, check her theater out. And thanks for listening to this podcast of Yoshi Den, and thank you, Rosie.